All right, so as I said at the beginning of the service, and as you can see with your eyes, we are going to be celebrating the Lord's Supper together. And, you know, I don't think it's necessary that every time um, a congregation celebrates the Lord's Supper that, um, you know, a pastor has to preach on a, you know, a ser- uh, preach a sermon or on a text that explains what we're doing in the Lord's Supper. But sometimes it's helpful, and sometimes it's good, and we're going to do that this morning. Um, this morning's text that we're considering is not only helping us to understand what we're going to be doing in the Lord's Supper, and by the, by the way, that's explained also in the form that I'm going to be reading uh, right after the sermon in connection with the Lord's Supper, but we're going to be considering um, the, the beauty, the blessing, and the joy of the Lord's Supper. Sometimes we forget that. Sometimes we talk simply about the observance of the Lord's Supper, but not the celebration of the Lord's Supper. And the bread and the wine in the Lord's Supper, according to the text that we're considering, is designed to strengthen and gladden our hearts. And we need to be a joyful people, brothers and sisters. We need to be joyful. And every time that we gather together for a Sunday morning or evening worship service or afternoon service. We should not come with glum faces. We should not come with, you know, somewhat dour faces. The joy of the Lord is our strength. You know, the psalmist says, this is the day that the Lord has made. We are to rejoice and we are to be glad in it. I was glad when they said to me, says the psalmist, I was glad when they said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. So let's remember these scriptures and let's remember them in light of what we're going to be doing here uh, in the Lord's Supper. Now, what I want to do is, if you have your Bibles with you, I'd like you to turn to Psalm 104. Psalm 104, and we're going to read just a a couple of verses from that, but I want you to turn there first, in the middle of your Bible, Psalm 104, and then I want you to put your finger there. And then what I want you to do is I want to draw your attention to Matthew chapter 26. And we're going to begin reading at verse 17 and read through verse 29, where we find Jesus celebrating, first of all, the Passover with his disciples, and then in fulfillment of the Passover, we find the institution uh, uh, and celebration of the Lord's Supper. So, first of all, Matthew chapter 26. Now, on the first day of unleavened bread, the disciples came to Jesus saying, where would you have us prepare for you to eat the Passover? He said, go into the city to a certain man and say to him, the teacher says, my time is at hand. I will keep the Passover at your house with my disciples. And the disciples did as Jesus directed them, and they prepared the Passover. When it was evening, he reclined at table with the twelve, and as they were eating, he said, truly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. And they were very sorrowful and began to say to him one after another, Is it I, Lord? He answered, He who has dipped his hand in the dish with me will betray me. The Son of Man goes as it is written of him, but woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been better for that man if he had not been born. Judas, who would betray him, answered, Is it I, Rabbi? He said to him, you have said so. Now, as they were eating, Jesus took bread, and after blessing it, broke it and gave it to his disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink of it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. 
I tell you, I will not drink again of this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. So, you notice that when Jesus instituted the Lord's Supper, he broke bread and he shared wine, the fruit of the vine, with his disciples. Now, those two elements are what we find in Psalm 104. I want to draw your attention just to two verses, verses 14 and 15. Psalm 104 is, is an entire psalm and somewhat of a lengthy psalm devoted to God's creative activity as well as God's providential care over his creation. In other words, when I say providential, I mean how God sustains the world that he made and provides for it. There are three provisions that we find in verses 14 and 15. The psalmist says, Lord, you cause the grass to grow for the livestock and plants for man to cultivate, that he may bring forth food from the earth and wine to gladden the heart of man, oil to make his face shine, and bread to strengthen man's heart. Now, verses 14 and 15 are kind of interesting because, and it's all in connection with God's creative goodness, that in verses 14 and 15, we see what I would call three basic staples of life. We have bread, and we have wine, and we have oil. Now, you're probably here this morning, and when I talk about the basic staples of life, you're probably thinking, well, I don't oftentimes think of bread and oil and wine as the basic staples of life, because when I go to the store, I go to Save On Foods or the co-op or Gary's, or whatever, what, how would you call it? We always in Toronto call it Gary's No Frills. What? It's a no frill store. Anyway, you go to the store, and you can see everything that you want in that store, basically, and if you can't find it there, Let's say at Save On Foods, you can go to the other grocery stores or specialty shops and get what you need. That's the kind of country that we live in. We should praise God for that. But it's not the same as when you go elsewhere in the world. Elsewhere in the world, even in the Middle East today, bread, oil, and wine are staples. So when I was involved in a harbor ministry in Montreal, Quebec, about 35 years ago, um, I would go on various ships that uh, would come in from all over the world into the Montreal, uh, through the St. Lawrence Seaway, and into just kind of the, the you know, they would, they would, they would uh, park their ships, so to speak, in the St. Lawrence Seaway um, at the old part of Montreal. And I would go on those ships, and, and there are times when, when men from these ships, and they would come in from all over the world, literally. They, they would come from, I mean, Russia's a new, so they, there would be Russian ships, and there would be ships from Spain and ships from India, ships from Germany, ships from North Africa, Islamic nations, and so on. I mean, literally from all over the world. And they would invite me on these ships, and sometimes what they would do is they would invite me to dinner, and, they, and I would sit down, and I would be reminded of just how basic their diet was. There was always some form of bread, oftentimes there was oil, and many times, not always, but many times they had, you know, a glass of wine with a meal. I remember, especially on an Italian ship, they invited me over and these, these big chunks of cheese and bread and wine and, and everything. The, so the reason why I bring that out is that whether you go back centuries to Psalm 104 and the Middle Eastern culture, or even today, those things have not changed. When we think of staples, we think of bread, oil, and wine. And you know what? There's something, there's something beautiful about them. There's something beautiful about their texture. There's something beautiful about their fragrance. There's something beautiful about their, their appearance. Something wonderful about their, 
about their taste. And this is why, if I can come in front of the table just a moment, I'll come back to the behind the podium. It's always, um, I wouldn't say somewhat troubled me, but oftentimes I reflect how when it comes to the creational goodness that we see in the Lord's Supper, it's oftentimes very reductionistic, very kind of minimalistic, small, right? So, first of all, we have, we have wine, but it's, it's, it's hidden, first of all. And then we have bread that oftentimes is hidden in silver trays. Here, it's exposed. But even then, when we think of bread, it comes in a good classic North American plastic cup, right? And what we have is we have little plastic cups as well of either grape juice or of wine that we'll celebrate a little bit later. But the thing is, and this is not, I would say, a moral issue, but it's a point for us to reflect on, that we miss in the Lord's Supper, sometimes in the way that we celebrate it, some of the fullness of God's creation. Now, what I did this morning is I took something more. Kids, I want you to take a look at this. And maybe you don't like me to use props. Well, these are the elements that Jesus himself gave us, didn't he? He didn't give us all kinds of images to learn from except for the image of bread and wine and water in the sacraments of baptism and the Lord's Supper. Kids, I want you to take a look at this. This is bread. Well, you know, this is bread too. But when we talk about the fullness of the creation of God, this is bread. Now, you put your nose to it. Smells wonderful. There's texture to this. There's beauty to this. The taste of this is wonderful. Now, Psalm 104 also talks about wine, and there's something beautiful about this as well. You take time to look at wine, especially in light of, of the, uh, especially in light of the lights above. There's something beautiful about this as well. There's something wonderful about its fragrance and the, and the color and the texture as you drink it. Psalm 104, although it's not part of the elements of the Lord's Supper, also talks about this as a staple of life. This is olive oil. It comes from pressed olives, where the wine comes from pressed grapes. This also, in light, is just a wonderful color and a beautiful texture and a wonderful taste. Now, why do I take time to show that? Why do I take time to explain that? To say that we need to be creational Christians. We need to appreciate the creation of God because this world did not come about by time plus chance and evolutionary processes. We believe, as the Bible says, that God created the world in the span of six days, and God created everything good and everything to be enjoyed. There's something beautiful about the creation of God, and we need to appreciate that. And the two things that we find in the Lord's Supper here this morning that we're called to appreciate, and the very elements that Jesus himself creationally institutes in the Lord's Supper is bread and wine. And you know what? Those two elements speak as tokens of the love of God, the love of God the Father for us in sending His Son Jesus into the world, but the love of Jesus in fulfilling the will of His Father in coming into this world, obeying the laws of God for us, and going all the way to the cross, the centerpiece of history, in order to give His life for us. This is why, this is why the Lord's Supper is to be a time of celebration. It is to be a time of joy, thanking God, just as the Israelites did in the wilderness with the Passover, thanking God for all his many provisions, especially the provision of the blood and the righteousness of Christ for the forgiveness of our sins. So we're going to consider that 
this morning. Okay, just those two elements. And I want us to reflect on those two elements of bread and wine this morning. First of all, the bread. In Matthew chapter 26, when we read that together, we saw that, that Jesus, first of all, celebrated the Passover with his disciples. Because Jesus was a Jew, and also his disciples were Jews. And Jesus needed to fulfill all righteousness and the laws of God. And the Passover was called to be a perpetual memorial for God's people. So Jesus naturally, before going to the cross on Passover, celebrates the Passover with his disciples. And then following that, Jesus institutes the Lord's Supper as a fulfillment of the Passover. And in the Lord's Supper, at one point, Jesus takes bread and he breaks it and he says, Take, eat, this is my body. Now, there's a number of reasons why Jesus broke bread with his disciples. One of the reasons why Jesus broke bread with his disciples is to point us back to the Passover, but also what he was going to do on the cross. There's the bread of the Passover, and then there's the bread of the Lord's Supper. And both of them together point us to Jesus Christ as the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. The Passover points us forward to that point, and the Lord's Supper, as we celebrate it this morning, points us back to that point, to the cross, and what Jesus Christ did on the cross for us as a centerpiece of history. So Jesus breaks bread to connect us to the Passover and to remind us that on the cross, which the bread represents, He gave His body... And he gave it over to death in order that we might experience life. But there's another reason why Jesus gave bread. And that's not only to point us to a memorial of remembering through that bread what he has done for us on the cross. But Jesus also gave bread to remind us that as bread nourishes us physically, so too bread nourishes us spiritually. You know, when you take, partake of that bread in the Lord's Supper, as we do, as we will in a, in a short time from now, we are reminded that as bread nourishes our bodies, so too Christ gave himself for us. And we celebrate that in the Lord's Supper to nourish our souls and to draw us into deeper communion with Christ as our faith is strengthened through the Lord's Supper. This is why throughout history, especially during the time of the Reformation, the Reformers talked about the Lord's Supper as a means of grace. It is a means, in other words, of strengthening our faith, nourishing our souls, and drawing us into deeper communion with Jesus Christ. So, so this is an important thing. So when, when you and I partake of the Lord's Supper, and I try not to complicate things from the pulpit, but when we celebrate the Lord's Supper this morning, try to remember this in the future, the Lord's Supper really points us to two things. One, it is a memorial whereby we remember what Christ has done for us on the cross. But secondly, what it is, it's a meal of spiritual nourishment. It is a means of grace, a meal of remembrance, and a meal of nourishment. Now, one other thing about the bread is we reflect on the bread. And maybe this is something that we don't oftentimes think of. Bread, as I said earlier, is a, it's a wonderful blessing of the creation of God. I don't know about you, but I love bread. 
I love whole grain bread, love sourdough bread, love uh, bagels are wonderful, especially when they're toasted, pumpernickel bagels, dense bagels, you know, bread, bread is good and we should enjoy the bread. And unless you, you're going gluten free or unless you're a diabetic and you have to watch the carbohydrates, bread is a great blessing and it's designed to bring us joy. Why do I say that? Because the psalmist in Psalm 104 says that bread actually strengthens the heart of man. Right? That's what it says. Bread strengthens the heart of man. Notice what it doesn't say. It doesn't say bread um, nourishes the body of man. Bread strengthens let's say, the energy of man, you know, through its ingredients and its nutrients. No, it says bread strengthens, it strengthens the heart of man. It, 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 um, it lifts the spirit and it brings joy. Um, and why not? Why not? Because bread, again, points us to the body of Christ given to us on the cross and it points us to the life that we receive through Christ. Jesus says in John 6, he says, I am the bread of heaven. He who eats of this bread will actually live forever. He or she will live in this life and they will have eternal life. And this life that God gives us in Christ is ultimately something that springs from His love. Now you think about it, when you consider God the Father, it was God who from all eternity placed His love upon us. And it was God in conjunction with Jesus Christ and the Spirit who determined through His redemptive will that Jesus Christ would come into this world and pay the penalty of our sin and restore us to God, reconcile us to God and give us eternal life. Love. And it was Jesus also from all eternity who gave himself over to the Father's will and in time on this earth fulfilled the Father's will all the way to the point of death, death on a cross. So when we celebrate the Lord's Supper together, we are celebrating life and the love of God. And maybe this is one of the reasons why um, the Christians of the early church, particularly in the church of Corinth, celebrated the Lord's Supper initially, not in the way that we're celebrating it now. That came later on in the history of the church. But they connected the Lord's Supper to what we call a love feast, where the people of God gathered together, sometimes like um, between church meals. Hopefully we're going to do that soon during the summer. Okay? Where we gather together and we have a meal together, and what they would do is they would gather with, uh, for this meal, and then they would celebrate the Lord's Supper as a way of symbolizing the love between the brothers and sisters in Christ in the church, but ultimately the love that they had for God and God's love for them in Christ. All of this, all of what do I explain? The Lord's Supper is a meal of remembrance. The Lord's Supper is a meal of nourishment. The Lord's Supper that celebrates life and love and is to exude from us joy all of this, all of this, well, is reflected in that bread right here. 
Maybe some of us are not always thinking about that when we have the bread in our hands in the Lord's Supper, but it's the significance of the bread. But one other thing. One other thing that we celebrate in the Lord's Supper is also wine. And I know it's called the fruit of the vine. And, you know, sometimes uh, Christians have you got into some disagreement, right? Whether you should use wine or whether you should use grape juice. And I suppose there's occasion to, to debate that kind of thing. But, but but we're not going to consider that here this morning. We don't want us to be swayed from the main point, and that is wine also, like bread, is a blessing. Now, when Jesus celebrates in Matthew chapter 26, the Lord's Supper, he calls it the fruit of the vine, does he not? The fruit of the vine. That's why people say, well, you can have grape juice or you can have wine, and we have both here in our celebration of the Lord's Supper. But I think we can be assured that when Jesus, first of all, celebrated the Passover with the disciples and then instituted the Lord's Supper, as a fulfillment of the Passover, they used wine. Now, whether that wine was as, maybe as strong in alcohol content like we have here, don't know. Probably not. It was probably weaker wine, but wine nonetheless. And why not wine when you consider how the Bible treats wine? You know, if bread is to lift the spirit, wine also is to lift the spirit. When you look at Psalm 104, it says this, bread strengthens the heart of man and wine gladdens the heart of man. Lifts the spirit, brings joy. So, so wine is more than just something that nicely complements, I don't know, a steak or a piece of fish. Red wine, right, for steak and white wine for fish. No, wine is designed for us through a proper use, through a proper use, to enjoy because it, 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 it points to the creational goodness of God and the blessing of fermented grapes, which also come from the creation of God, to enjoy, to lift the spirit, right? So listen to these words again. Psalm 104, bread strengthens the heart of man, wine gladdens the heart of man. And then we read also in the book of Ecclesiastes something similar. Bread is given for laughter and wine for rejoicing. Again, part of the creational goodness of God. So wine is designed to, to, for our enjoyment and to lift our spirits. But if you think about it, wine also is good for the body in a proper use. I don't know if you've ever done any kind of Google search on this. Um, I think there's some points of disagreement on this, but many, many authorities will say when it, comes to, when it comes to wine, a proper use of wine and measure of wine, um, wine can be good for the body, reduces cholesterol. Um, it can help in preventing strokes and heart attacks. Um, it can help in the, in the for instance, um, the aid of digestion. You know, I mean... There's a reason why the Apostle Paul said to the younger pastor, Timothy, who was probably facing a lot of pressures in his ministry, he said, maybe some of you know this, but he said, drink a little wine for the sake of the stomach. He didn't say, stay away from that, you know. He says, drink a little bit to be good for your stomach, right? So wine, wine has bodily benefits. It has spirit benefits. But this one final thing that I think probably a lot of us are not aware of with that, that wonderful element of wine, and that is this. In the Old Testament, when, when God's people uh, were, were not living faithfully before God, and when they turned their backs on God, 
What God would do in order to get the attention of his people is that he would bring drought. And when there was drought, when there was no rainfall, then what would happen, or dew on the ground, what happened is that their fields would dry up. There would be little grain, little oil, and when it came to the vineyards, the, the, the vines would be empty. And there would be no grapes to press for, for wine. But when God's people turned their hearts to the Lord, that's, that's when they found that the, the wine began to flow. And, and the grain was abundant. Uh, AV team, if you put uh, the scriptures on there. Okay. I want you to notice these a minute. And they're very, they're very interesting. Come from various parts of uh, the scriptures. First of all, from Joel 1, 9 through 12. Here's where the Lord is seeking to get the attention of his people who have turned their backs on him. And he says this. Lament, my people, for your grain is destroyed. The wine dries up and the oil languishes. The vine dries up and gladness dries up from the children of men. Now, do you notice here that these creational elements of bread and oil and wine were given by God not just to nourish His people, but to bring them joy. But when they turn their backs on God and He removes them, joy is also removed from them. Interesting. Now, Joel 2, 19, 20. In 24, notice what happens when, God, when the people of God turn their hearts back to the Lord. The Lord has become jealous for the land, and as a result of His people turning toward Him, He has pity on His people. And the Lord says, Behold, I am sending you grain, wine, and oil, and you will be satisfied. The threshing floors will be full of grain, and vats will overflow with wine and oil. It's not like the Lord says, I'm just going to give you a little bit of wine, a little bit of oil that's going to be full. It's going to represent my blessings to you. Then behold, the days are coming when the mountains will drip sweet wine and all the hills shall flow with it. I will restore the fortunes of my people and they will rebuild the ruined cities and they shall plant vineyards and drink their wine. And finally this, I have loved you with an everlasting love. Therefore, I have continued my faithfulness to you. I have ransomed Jacob and redeemed him. My people will come and sing aloud on the height of Zion, and they will be radiant over the goodness of the Lord, over the grain and the wine and the oil and other scriptures like this. Friends, when we, when we celebrate the Lord's Supper together, and especially when we have that wine or that grape juice in our hands, let's remember what the fruit of the vine, particularly wine, represents. It represents something that's good for our bodies. It represents something that is good for our spirits. And it represents, probably most importantly, the blessings of of the kingdom of God, the blessings of Christ the King and the kingdom that He has come to bring. Listen, many of us know the first miracle of Jesus, right? The changing of water into wine. When Jesus did that, He was stating something very important. He's basically saying, when He changed that water into wine, He's saying, you know what? I'm here. The King is here and I've come to bring all the blessings of my kingdom. And what are those blessings? Forgiveness, Joy, the deposit or the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, forgiveness, reconciliation with God, the blood of Christ, the righteousness of Christ, 
eternal life, life in this life and the life to come. Indeed, one of the blessings of the kingdom is that when we have worship on Sundays and we hear the preaching of the word and we, we engage in the sacrament, we participate in the sacrament, already at that point, I don't know if you ever think about this, but already at that point, we're tasting something. We're given a little bit of a foretaste of the blessings of the new creation to come when we'll be gathered with the people of God and we will be seated at the banquet feast or the wedding feast of the Lamb, celebrating as we are now, but in a perfect, fuller, more wonderful way. All of this, all of what I've, what I've, I've said over the last, what, 15 or 20 minutes or whatever it is, is represented by what we're going to be doing in the Lord's Supper. So I, I leave you with this to, to think about. Sometimes um, in churches that I have served and also churches that I've attended, when it came time for, for worship or it came time for the Lord's Supper, um, there's just a, there's kind of a heaviness. There's kind of a sobriety, a seriousness. And in, in one sense, that's, that's something that we need to do, right? We need to take worship seriously, and we need to take what we're doing in the Lord's Supper seriously. And, and we need to understand not only what we're doing, but we need to understand that what we have here for us is, is a picture. It's something that we see. Theologians will talk about the Lord's Supper as the gospel in visible form. So you've heard the gospel, the good news, from the pulpit, but you also get to see the good news in the Lord's Supper, okay? And sometimes when people approach it, they, they, they approach it so soberly and so seriously, and I've seen it in churches sometimes where people just, because they want to maintain the special nature of the Lord's Supper, although in the Bible it never really talks about the Lord's Supper as something special, it's something ordinary that we do with preaching. It's something that we should be doing together. It's why theologians, especially in the Reformation tradition, called it an ordinary means of grace. Not extraordinary, but ordinary means of grace. doesn't mean it's not important, but it's something that we combine with the preaching in our worship. But sometimes people treat it so extraordinary, they even change the clothes that they wear, and they get all kinds of serious. And in some sense, as I said, we need to be serious about what we're doing because we're reflecting what, on His death, on the death of our Savior. And we need to do that seriously. But on the other hand, while some people approach it sometimes too seriously and without a lot of joy, there are other people who treat it flippantly. I've been in churches before where it's a lively worship service, and at the end, the Lord's Supper celebration is just kind of a, a very quick addendum or an attachment to what the people are doing in the worship. And so the, the pastor preaches a sermon, they sing this rousing praise song, and then comes time for the Lord's Supper, and it was just kind of... I don't, it was not dismissed, but it was just kind of a little bit of attachment. And they had plates in the back where people could go. There was no fencing of the table, no explanation of the Lord's Supper, nothing like that. It was just something that we do, the Lord's Supper. And the people would go back, and there would be a plate of saltine crackers. And there'd be a plate of grape juice with little, like, little cups that we have. And people got it, they got, and then the band's playing, and they just sit down, and they take it on their own. And it's... is something that did not invite necessarily a, a lot of reflection. And they, we need to reflect on what we're doing. So, I leave you with this. There was a term that the writer C.S. Lewis used in connection with worship and in connection with the Lord's Supper. It was the Latin term solemna, 
which means joyful seriousness, joyful seriousness. It, is, um, it, it comes from the Psalms, where the psalmist says that we are to rejoice with trembling. Rejoice with trembling. In other words, what we do in worship and what we do in the Lord's Supper, we need, we need to, to, to take that seriously because, because we come in the presence of the King. We come before holy God, right? But that should not take away a spirit of joy within us, particularly in the Lord's Supper. Notice I didn't say flippancy but deep-seated joy because, as the psalmist says in Psalm 104, God has given us the basic elements of the creation, two of them represented here in the Lord's Supper, bread to strengthen our hearts and wine to gladden our spirits. Let's keep that in mind when we come forward to receive these elements. Take time this morning to reflect seriously but also to have a spirit of joy within you, remembering the goodness of God and the blessings of the kingdom that are found in Jesus Christ. Okay? Now, before we come forward uh, for the elements, let's have a, a brief prayer. Heavenly Father, as we come to you this morning, Lord, you are the God of creation. You are the God of fullness and of grace. And Lord, we thank you that you have not only provided for us a church, not only provided for us weekly worship, not only provided us the scriptures and preaching, but Lord, you've given us as a token of your love and of your grace the blessings of the Lord's Supper. Blessings that remind us of all the blessings of the kingdom of God that comes through our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. So, Father, as we celebrate the Lord's Supper here this morning, we pray that you will bring to our minds the Lord's Supper as a memorial, the Lord's Supper as a meal of spiritual nourishment and the strengthening of our faith, but also the Lord's Supper as something that lifts our hearts with joy to Christ who has given his life for us and has risen from the dead so that we might have life in this life as well as the life to come. And this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.